it is worth pausing as we are here on this Memorial Day weekend to think about the very words we use when we say Memorial Day. What is a memorial? A memorial is a kind of testimony that we give to someone else's testimony. A memorial is a remembrance. It is something we are testifying to about what someone else has testified to by their life. The most basic memorial that we are giving on this weekend of those who fought and died for our country is a testimony to them. We stop and we remember and we look up and we say, God, thank you that men and women were willing to die so that I could meet and worship you freely as I am this morning. It is a testimony to them. But friends, even more frankly, it is a testimony to their testimony. You see, we do not have a memorial day to those who lose their lives in frivolous pursuits. There are no memorial days for Adolf Hitler. There are no, there are no memorial days for people who give their lives to evil and wickedness. Why? Because a memorial day is fitting for those who have something to memorialize. Why do we have a Memorial Day? Not just because people died in service to our country, but because what that death testifies about themselves. We have a Memorial Day because we recognize that greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. We have a Memorial Day because what we are testifying to is what they testified to themselves, which is there is something that is worth living for and there is something worth dying for. And friends, that is true of however you memorialize the ones you love on this weekend. Sometime this weekend, my family will go visit my father's grave out near Matamidi, Minnesota. We will go and visit my grandparents' grave, as my father always used to on this weekend. We remember those who came before us. And I trust that if your ancestors, your parents, your grandparents, those that you will memorialize this weekend, they, I hope, are those that you are memorializing for what they memorialized by their life. And that's why I think it's so fitting that this morning we turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We started out this year by focusing on the biblical virtue of love. We talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the context of our spiritual gifts. When we finished that series, we moved to the book of Revelation and we talked about our hope that is coming, that is waiting for us, the eternal state that God has promised, love and hope. And that's why I believe where God is leading us in these next many weeks ahead is to focus on the third cardinal virtue of our Christian life, which is faith. My plan starting this morning and moving on into the future is to go through this entire chapter, Hebrews 11, slowly and surely to understand what the Bible is telling us about this central characteristic, this cardinal virtue of our Christian lives. What is faith? 
As I reflected on that this morning, I thought it was so fitting that on this Memorial Day weekend, we begin this series by noticing what the author of Hebrews says in verse number two. Will you look at that with me? Chapter 11 and verse one tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if you have your Bibles open, would you read that second verse out loud with me? For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now stop there. What is a good report? And who are these elders? He's saying that the people of God across all ages have obtained a good, we could say this weekend, a good memorial a good testimony, obtained it from whom? God. A good memorial, a good testimony by what? What does verse one tell, 2 tell us? By what they obtained a good memorial? By faith. The subject and the title of the message this morning is simply Faith's Memorial. Faith's memorial. I want us to study as we open this series on Hebrews chapter 11 that faith has a testimony that attaches to it. And that across all the ages, God's people, not least of which today, give a memorial that deserves to be memorialized of who God is and what he intends for us. Faith's Memorial. Let's start, first of all, with what I'm going to call faith's centrality. Faith's centrality. What is the message? What is the purpose of Hebrews 11? And we always start with context. I've talked about this before, including when we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What do we call 1 Corinthians 13? The what chapter? The love chapter. And so often we just pull 1 Corinthians 13 right out of context and just focus on it. Now there is much riches in 1 Corinthians 13. But we're not truly going to understand it unless we know, understand 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Where it fits within the argument that Paul is making. And the same thing is here in Hebrews 11. We pluck the chapter out of context. We pluck verses out of context. And we can learn from it. But unless we understand the context of what the Spirit is trying to tell us through this whole book, we can't truly get the most profit out of Hebrews chapter 11. So let's start with the context. The book of Hebrews is called Hebrews. Now we may know that Hebrew is a language. The Hebrew language was spoken by what people? The Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? The Hebrews is an ethnic character. It is an ethnic quality. The, the people of who? The Jews, right? The Jewish people are the Hebrew people. So we understand from the very title that this book was written to Jews in the first century, not terribly long after Jesus had been resurrected, certainly within a few decades. Now, these people, we understand from the context of this book, this book was written by a Jew. We don't know which one. Many people think it was Paul. Other people would identify other believers, Apollos or other people. But we know it was written by a Jew. And this Jew is appealing to other Jews who had believed in Jesus Christ. They had entered the Christian church. 
They were a part of the outward, the external assembly of Christians. They were ethnically Jews. They were religiously Christians. But here was the problem. They were under a lot of pressure. They were under pressure because their family and their friends were Jews. And Jews have a religion, Judaism. And so these people had left Judaism and turned toward Christianity. And now their family and their friends were putting them under pressure to say, you can't do that. You can't leave the religion of our family, of our fathers. They were excluding them from the synagogue, the place where Jews congregated. Maybe they were kicking them out of their family. They, indeed, we know in, in chapter 10, we see that these people had been mistreated. Notice what verse 34 of chapter 10 said. For you had compassion of me, the author, in my bonds, in my imprisonment, and took joyfully the spoiling, the stealing of your goods. These Christians were being robbed They were being persecuted. They were being afflicted because they were Christians. And we can tell from the book of Hebrews, these people were discouraged. They were saying, is it worth it to be a Christian if what I get from it is I lose my family and I lose my friends and I lose my job and I'm poor and I'm persecuted? Is it worth it? And the entire book of Hebrews is the author of Hebrews by inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing to these Jews and saying, it's worth it. Why? It's worth it because Jesus is better than anything that Judaism could promise you. It's better because Jesus is a better high priest than what we see depicted in our Old Testaments. It's better because Jesus is a better and more and gives more wonderful and better promises than what you see. He is a more wonderful Savior. He is the Messiah that was promised in Judaism. All of Judaism is pointing to this person, Jesus So you need to follow him. Keep on going. It's worth it. And ultimately what the author of Hebrews is driving to is this. Keep on believing. Don't give up. Stand in faith. Keep pursuing Jesus no matter what you experience in this life. Notice what he comes to in verse 38. Again, I had Kelvin Todd read these last two verses of chapter 10 intentionally instead of just starting up in verse 1. He said, now the just shall live by faith. He's quoting the Old Testament there. He's pointing back to the Old Testament book of Judaism and saying this even book says the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, turn away, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But then he says, but we, those that I am writing to, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, unto destruction, unto hell. But we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. He's saying, you discouraged Christians. You're not of those who are going to turn away and be destroyed eternally in hell. You are of those that that, that have believed and not only have believed, you're going to keep on believing because the evidence of saving faith is that it continues. You are going to continue believing to the saving of your soul. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Don't just draw Hebrews 11 out of context. What is he saying? He is telling these discouraged Christians, keep on going, keep on believing. And let me tell you what belief looks like. Let me tell you what that saving faith that will save your soul, what are its essential characteristics. And then here's the connection he's going to draw. Look at verse two. For by it, by this kind of saving faith, the elders obtained a good report. Do you see the brilliant argument? You're Jewish people. I have been convincing you this entire time that Jesus is the Messiah and you need to pursue him and believe in him for the saving of your soul. And now let me prove to you that you're heroes of Judaism. Your Old Testament heroes, they believe too. It would be like saying to an American child, your heroes, the heroes of American history, the George Washingtons, the Abraham Lincolns, the Samuel Douglases, the great people who have shaped our country's destiny. It would be like pointing back to them on Memorial Day and saying, see them? They're doing the same thing I'm telling you to do. Why are they heroes? Why is Daniel a hero? Why is Moses a hero? Why is Abraham a hero? What these little children from the very time they are born and grow up, their parents are telling them these are the heroes of our faith. And now the author is saying they related to God by faith too. Why were they heroes? Because of faith. That's brilliant. That's the argument. He's connecting with them. He's saying, don't go back to Judaism. All of Judaism was pointing forward to the Messiah and faith in him. Go there, continue and engage. So here's the, the centrality of faith. He's saying all of God's people across all of time have related to God by faith, not by something else. Were people heroes in the Old Testament? They were heroes by faith. Were people heroes in the New Testament? They were heroes by faith. Are people heroes today? They're heroes by faith. And friends, this is not a different kind of faith than saving faith. It is saving faith. What is faith? It's this, what he's going to describe for us over this entire chapter. We are not of them that draw back to perdition. We are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Friends, faith is central to your Christian life. That's why our Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Your, the health and, and vitality of your Christian life depends on the health of your faith and that alone. Faith is the central characteristic. It is one of the cardinal virtues. It is the essential that we cannot go without either to be saved and to be delivered from destruction and to live and walk in our daily lives. Faith is central. But I want us to see secondly then what I'm going to call faith's reality, faith's centrality and faith's reality. Notice with me verse 1. I wonder if this verse has confused you before. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Now, he's not really so much defining faith entirely in that verse. He's describing it. He's saying this is a characteristic of this saving biblical faith. It is the substance of something I hope for. It is the evidence of something I don't see. You say, what does that mean? Substance. Let's start here with what we just commonly associate with faith. If I were to ask you, what is faith? I suspect most of you would say, it's believing something. And you'd be right. This word faith here, if you were to take that noun in our Greek and you would make it into a verb, it would be the verb believe. So you're absolutely right. What is faith? Faith is belief. What is faith? Faith is believing. And we've used different examples before. What is belief in the biblical sense? Belief is not just a mental assent to something like, I believe that there are clouds up in the sky, or I believe in something called gravity. It's not just an intellectual belief in something. It is a trust in something. As if I look at that chair, and I say, that chair will hold me, and I trust it to hold me by going over and sitting down in it. It is taking all my weight. We can understand the character of faith when we recognize that it is belief and trust that go hand in hand. But we're missing out if we stop there on what Hebrews 11.1 is telling us. What is faith if it is the substance of something that is hoped for? Well, first of all, just notice the kind of realm that faith operates in. It is in the realm of something I hope for. Now, if I hope for something, do you know what is necessary? I don't see it. Because if I hope for it, if I, if I, if I saw it, I wouldn't need to hope for it. I'd have it. Some of you have dreams. You have hopes that you're looking for in the future. I want to do this job. I want to be this kind of person. I want to have this kind of character about me. I want this calling in my life. But you don't see it. That's why you only, it's only a dream. It's only a hope. If you had it, it wouldn't be hope anymore because you'd already have it. You get the point? Hope is something that you do not see. And notice he makes the same idea at the end of verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, the realm, and it's the evidence of things what? Not seen. Same idea. The realm of faith is something I do not see with my human senses. Now here's the simple point. If faith deals in that realm of, not, of things that aren't seen by human senses, how does it respond in that realm? It says faith is the substance of things I hope for, and it is the evidence of things that I don't see. Let's stop for a moment. The word substance. What is the idea of that word? What does he mean the substance of something you hope for? What if we were to make it into a verb? Faith is not just the substance of things we hope for. Faith substantiates what we hate, hope for. That's the verb form of substance. It substantiates. You say, okay, well, what does it mean to substantiate something? It means to confirm it, to assure it. Let me give you an example. Some of you have bought a house before. And you went to the closing of a house and the seller promised to deliver you a house. 
And you went to that closing and you signed a whole bunch of documents and you shook hands and they said, congratulations, this house is yours. And you walk out of the building and someone says, prove to me that house is yours. And you say, well, I I know it's mine. No, they say, prove it to me, substantiate it. And what do you do? You pull out a title deed and you say, here, I proved it, it's mine. This has my name on it, it's a title. Do you get it? What is that title deed? It substantiates what you believed. It's proof. Some of you guys, you spend an awful lot of money on an engagement ring for your wife, for your then girlfriend. You put a payment down and you gave it to that girl Preferably, I I hope, on one knee, saying nice things, everything that you're supposed to say. And that girl put it on on her finger. And if someone were to ask her, how do you know he loves you? She could hold up that ring and say, see, it substantiates it. Some, Some of you, maybe, some of you ladies, maybe you've looked at that ring before when things were hard in your marriage, or you remembered things that your sweetheart had done for you, sacrificial, loving things, when you weren't so sure whether he really loved you, and you looked at it or you thought back and you said, he really does love me. That action substantiated what you believed to be true. Here's what I believe the author of Hebrews is saying and the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Faith is not just a blind wish. It's not just a a prayer in the dark. Faith is substantiation. Faith is bringing to reality something that I cannot see. It's making it real to me, even though I can't see it. Do you see this is the point of the second phrase as well? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is evidence? I deal with evidence all the time in my job as a lawyer. Do you know what I call evidence? Proof. We read an email that our client sent over to us and we say, what does this prove? We read a document, a contract that the two parties entered into. We say, what does this prove? We hear sworn testimony in a deposition of someone giving their recollection of the facts and we say, what does this prove? That's evidence. Here's what he's saying. Faith is something that proves what you can't see. You say, how does that happen? How does that work? In fact, there are some people who say, I don't don't believe in faith. Faith is something that is just believing the impossible. It's just something comfortable for people who want to have a a little easier time thinking here on earth. I say to them, you believe every day. You operate your life on faith every single day. You say, what do you mean? Last night, I went and got on an airplane to come back to Minneapolis. Do you know I don't think I ever saw my pilots? I didn't demand a resume when I got on the plane. I didn't say, how many flights have you taken? When that plane took off and went up into the air, I I wasn't frantically checking the GPS, you know, on that little screen they put in front of you that you can track your flight. Am I going to Minneapolis or am I going to Timbuktu? No, I just trusted that when that airplane went up in the air, it was going to Minneapolis. I didn't really give it a second thought. And sure enough, when the wheels touched down, it wasn't like, okay, let me look out the window and make sure. I just got up and got off the plane. 
Why? Because I trusted. I believed. I didn't see it. I didn't have to see it. A lot of you people have gone to a doctor's office. I suspect probably all of you have gone to a doctor's office before when you were feeling sick. And that doctor took out a little slip of paper and he wrote a prescription on it. You went, he sent it over to the pharmacy and you went to CVS or Walgreens and you picked up a little bottle. It was a little orange bottle that you could see through and there were some pills in there. You had no idea what was in those pills. It could have been cyanide for all you knew. But you put it in your mouth and you swallowed it and you trusted that it would make you better. Why? Because you saw it? Because you proved it out? No, because you operated in faith. Some of you have purchased a house or you're making a rental payment every month or you're making a car payment every month and you agreed to make a mortgage payment for 30 years or you entered a two-year lease where you promised to pay money every single month or a car payment every single month for three or six or ten years. And why did you agree to do that? Because every two weeks your employer sends money into your account or maybe every month the government sends social security checks into your account. You haven't seen those checks coming for the next year or 30 years. You have no idea for sure whether, the, whether that social security check is going to come in next month like it has the last month. And yet you were willing to bank on it by entering a 30-year mortgage or a two-year rent, rental lease agreement or a 10-year car repayment agreement. What am I saying? We all operate by faith. You say, well, that's different because I had a history there. I know the government has been paying me every month. And I say, yeah, exactly. What do you think it is to be a Christian? Faith isn't about blind faith. Faith isn't about trusting things that are unreasonable. You say, why? Because my God gave me this book to tell me how he's acted in the past. And when I trust that he has acted this way in the past, my God's got really good credit that he's going to keep on acting that same way in the future, just like the government does when it sends you Social Security checks every month. Faith isn't unreasonable. If someone tells you that faith is a leap in the dark, say, that's absolutely not true. And friends, if you're wondering out here today or within the sound of my voice, should I become a Christian? I'm not asking you to take a blind leap of faith. I'm telling you to operate with the assurance that faith gives by seeing how God has always acted and how he's committed to act in the future. Why is it that so many of our senior saints are the ones who have the most wonderful, strong faith in God? They just don't get knocked off their blocks by anything. They get a cancer diagnosis and it's like, God's got this. Why? Because God's got really good credit with them. Because he's got an established credit history. They've seen him work over and over and over and over again through their lives. And faith has become the substance of things they're hoping for and the evidence of things they've never seen. They say, how do you know that there's a heaven for you? Because I've seen what God's given to me in credit every single day of my life. And therefore, I trust him for what I see in the future. Now get this, friends. Faith, in other words, is something you see even though you can't see. Faith is an organ of sight, of perception, of reality that you can't get through your human senses. Imagine this. A.W. Pink, the theologian, had this wonderful example. He said, two men are standing on a ship. They are both looking the same direction. He says, one of them says, I see nothing. One of them says, I see a steamboat ahead of me. You say, what's the difference? One of them has a telescope up to his eye. The one guy has no telescope and he can't see anything. It's just emptiness in front of him. The other guy has a telescope. He says, I see. 
And the Christian is the one who has a telescope. The telescope of faith that looks ahead to the future, things he's never seen before, things she's never truly experienced before about the eternal life that God has promised for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And they said, I see it. I'm not blind. I know it. It's real. It's been substantiated. It's been proved. That's faith. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an idle wish. Faith is not just the kind of thing where we cross our fingers and hope. Faith is the certainty. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the conviction that how God has revealed himself to us is how he actually is. And friends, that is not in any sense of the word unreasonable. Notice how how this same idea comes out in verse 3, will you? He says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen, do you see that? There's that concept. Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Do you know we are all operating by faith when it comes to the origins of our universe? Someone says, I can't have the faith to believe that God created everything that we see from nothing. The things which we see now were not created from things that appear. They were made by the word of God. I can't believe that. I say, oh, what do you believe? I believe that 14 billion years ago, there was a big bang. And that is the cause of everything that we experience here today. And my question for them would be, what happened before that? Where did matter come from? Why was there something too big bang in the first place? Friends, I just humbly suggest to you, it takes more faith to believe that just randomly matter appeared than to believe that there is a creator God who spoke and out of whom what we see now was created. Now, friends, This is not and should not be anti-science. I'm grateful for those people who are looking at the fingerprints that God has left us in our world and reconciling them with what we understand by faith. In fact, we should hold those people to say, you need to be doing good science. You need to be substantiating it with the fingerprints of God. But ultimately, what we come down to in the end is this simple statement. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God because all of us get back to a point at which we cannot say anything but, I'm taking it by faith. Because none of us were there. We cannot ultimately tell. He is simply saying again, faith is not an idle wish or a hope. Faith is something by which I am certain, by which I have conviction because it has been substantiated. It has been proved. There's substance behind it, not just an idle wish. Friends, do you know this is characteristic of every single kind of Christian faith. In fact, it's in a sense even beyond that. There's an echo of this kind of faith in everything that we see around us. Look at any great man or great woman of the past, one who we celebrate as doing truly phenomenal things, and you'll see faith of a certain kind. 
What drove a Bill Gates to drop out of college? Who drops out of college to start a business? It was a kind of belief, a kind of vision that there was something here that he knew that was going to transform the way we do life. You think of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. Why did he drop out of Harvard to create this bizarre social network that has now taken the world by storm? He had a kind of faith. It was looking ahead to something he couldn't see, but operating on the reality that it was nonetheless substantial and real. And you can look across all of humanity. And I see this as an echo of what God is telling us. There are things that are real that you can't see. And faith is that which substantiates them and proves them as being real. The Bible itself reflects this. Listen to 1 Peter 1.8. It's speaking of Jesus. And this author, Peter, is writing to those who have been persecuted. And he's saying, these whom, Jesus, you have not seen, yet you love. You say, loving someone I've never seen? Is that crazy? In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have never seen Jesus, but because you believe, you rejoice with unspeakable joy. Friends, what's the only way that you can rejoice with unspeakable joy about a person you've never seen? It's that faith has made it unspeakably real to you. You say, how can I approach a a cancer diagnosis with faith, with complete hope and certainty? It's because faith has made God real to you. It's substantiated what is at the heart of your faith, who God is and what his promises are. Friends, I just want to again, I just again want to come back to this. I am not calling you or encouraging you to a faith that closes its eyes. I'm telling you about a faith that in a reasonable manner banks on what it has seen in the past as evidence of what it cannot see in the future. C.S. Lewis explained this brilliantly. He said, if you even look at our own desires, the fact of our desire suggests that what we are desiring is real. Say, what do you mean by that? You desire food. That's because food is real. You desire water. That's because water is real. There's such a thing in the world as water that you desire. You desire companionship and friendship and sexual intimacy and all of these things because indeed these things are real. And C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If all of my desires in this world find their place in this world, but I find in something in me that I desire and it can never be satisfied by anything in this world, what is reasonable? God made a desire for another world. And friend, it is through the eyes of faith that when you engage with this fundamental truth of who God is, you say, I believe. And it is as real to me as anything I can see with my human eyes and hear 
with my human ears. Friends, is that your faith? As you sit here this morning, are the realities of who Jesus Christ is for you and what he has promised, are they real? Have they been substantiated? No, I don't mean you just intellectually believe them to be true, like you intellectually believe two plus two equals four. I mean, do they resonate in your soul to say, of course this is true. There is evidence that has proved it to me. Faith's centrality, faith's reality. And finally, I want to look at faith's activity. Because we haven't really squared the circle here. We haven't come back to where we started yet, have we? Where we started was the author of Hebrews is using these Old Testament examples to show that faith was what made them a hero. Faith was the reason they are held up and celebrated as and memorialized in our Old Testament. And now we understood what faith is. Faith is something that is real to us. It is an assurance. It is a substantiation of what we cannot see. So let's close the loop. Why are these people heroes? You say, well, that's easy by faith. No. Yes, by faith. But that's not the point that he's making. Notice what he says. Go to verse 4. Just let's scan over some of these examples. By faith, Abel, what's the next word? Offered. That's a verb. Verbs talk about activity. Verbs talk about things that you do. Go to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. He built an ark. What made Noah a hero? He built an ark. He did something. Why? By faith. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Why is Abraham a hero? Because he obeyed. Why do you obey? By faith. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, to conceive a child when she was well past age. You say, why is Sarah a hero? Because she had a baby way past when biology would say she could. Why? Because she, by faith. In other words, here's the point I'm making. You can't separate faith from activity. You can't separate faith from works. You can't do it. The whole point, the whole memorial of these Old Testament saints is that they obeyed, they did something, they pursued something. Why? Because they believed. And friend, when you understand that faith is substantiating someone, something, it's proving something, it's making it real to you, is when you understand why you're going to act if you believe. Because true Bible faith, when it becomes real to me, is the basis for my action. Our New Testament speaks wonderfully of the work of faith because faith always works. Show me a faith that does not work and I will show you something that is not faith. You say, how do you know? Because my Bible tells me. Because James chapter 2 says that if a man says he has faith and have not works, can that faith save him? And he's saying absolutely categorically not. 
because, because faith is what brings the reality of God to me, it must and does result in the way I live. You see, many people have been very confused by this. There are some who would say, because works are necessary, it is works that save us. We have to do things in order to enter God's family. And the answer is no. Paul says we are justified by faith alone. Why? Because to enter into God's family, you can never earn it. You can only believe. You can only trust. It is to enter God's family, you must believe. And that is all. You say, well, then why does James tell us we're justified by works and that faith alone cannot save? Because he's making the simple point that to justify you not before God, but before everyone else, it, your faith must be seen in the way you act. Again, you remember last time I was here, we talked about my apple tree in my front yard. We talked about that apple tree that didn't become an apple tree when it started producing fruit, but it was proved to be an apple tree when fruit showed up on the branches. It's the same thing. What Paul is saying is you become a child of God by faith alone when the seed of God makes you a child of God by being born again, by faith alone. What James is saying is this, how are you going to substantiate that you are a Christian? How are you going to prove that you have faith when the apples show up on the tree? Because faith works. The work of faith is the necessary consequence of what the reality that faith provides through the Spirit of God in my life Friends, do not be confused. Do not think that there is a kind of saving faith that is just like a thought that you have, is just kind of a mental assent to a truth, and you think that as long as I have this thought passed through my mind that believes in the general theology of Christianity, I'm a Christian. No! Saving faith, biblical faith, as we see right here in this chapter, is something conclusive. It is something substantiated. It is something that is proved in your life and reflects itself in works. You see, the story that we'll see over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11 is that this kind of faith faces severe obstacles what kind of obstacles? The obstacles of a culture that speaks against it. Look, we'll see over and over again in this chapter people who had to stand up against the culture of their time and say, no, I see something that you don't. Can you imagine being Noah and building a boat for decade after decade after decade and people laughing at him and mocking at him and saying, we've never seen any need for it. And he said, God told me I see something you don't. Today in this age, friends, faith looks like standing up against a rotting culture and saying, we see things you don't, and we will die for it if necessary. That's what faith looks like. 
not only against the external pressure of our culture, but of our own internal fleshly desires and weaknesses. Think of Sarah, a woman who was past bearing age, and God told her, you're going to have a baby. Can you imagine the inner doubt that would have so naturally roiled her? I don't believe that. That's impossible. Biology says that can't happen. She would have thought, God, don't do this to me. I've hoped for a baby for so long. Don't raise my hopes. Her temptation would have been to turn away in despair. And instead she believed because the word of God was made real to her in her soul. And so it is in your life. Faith. The substantiation of the things that the word of God tells you are true, that substantiation will cause you to fight back against your sinful impulses, to fight back against your lusts and resist them and reject them and turn away from them in pursuit of who God has promised you he is in Jesus Christ. Friends, my, te- my question for all of us on this Memorial Day weekend is what testimony is your faith giving today? What testimony is your faith giving against a corrupted world that is trying to squeeze you into its mold? Is your faith standing and resisting your culture because you see something and are convinced of something that they do not see? What testimony is your faith giving today by the way you are attacking sin in your life and your own fleshly inclinations and your own weaknesses and saying, I'm relying on something different. My faith is reflecting itself in action toward holiness, toward sanctification, toward a pure walk and testimony before God. What is your testimony of faith? Is it the testimony of these ones who have laid a wonderful memorial for us in Hebrews chapter 11 and in all the decades that have followed? The sobering reminder on Memorial Day weekend, friends, is that just as our ancestors have left memorials for us to memorialize, you will too. If Jesus tarries decades from now, people will be coming to your grave They will be remembering your life. And the real central question on Memorial Day is, will you leave them with a memorial of faith? A memorial that the reality of God so gripped your soul, so took captive your actions and thoughts and words that you stood up against a godless and sinful culture, that you pushed back against your own fleshly inclinations and left a testimony of godly actions and character that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will look back on and say, there was something there to memorialize. On this Memorial Day weekend, friends, may each of us recognize that we are leaving a memorial. And like those here in Hebrews chapter 11, the most important memorial that we can leave is one of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that every day we, in a sense, are writing our own obituary 
We are writing, in a sense, our own testimony, our own memorial. We are writing it to our children right now. We're writing it to our grandchildren. We're writing it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, the question for each of us is, is our life one of faith? Not of blind wishes. Not of weak feelings but of one in which the things of God have become real to our souls and they are changing the way we act. Spirit of God, challenge us, reveal what is hindering our faith, what is weakening our faith, what is pushing us to compromise with our culture and our carnal flesh. May we leave here strong in faith speaking and acting in the ways you would have us to. Let's pause with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder if there's someone here this morning or within the sound of my voice who would say, you know, I, I, I want that kind of faith, but I don't know that I have it. All I can see is a blind leap in the dark right now. I, I don't know that I'm ready to become a Christian. Friends, I'm not asking you to take a blind leap in the dark. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Won't you listen to the testimony that God has left you in his word? Won't you look and hear what he has told you, what he is like, and what he has promised for you? Won't you embrace that promise by faith and then experience that conviction and that confidence that it's true? Now, faith is the substance, the substantiation of things hoped for. It is the evidence, the proof of things not seen.